Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 this morning. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Let's listen to the word of the Lord that we might live. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. And do them, that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that his statutes and rules so righteous as, um, that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. Well, I want to ask you, what is the greatest gift that you have been given? Or what are some of the greatest gifts you've received from others? If you asked me as a young boy, I would have told you it was my green little tykes tractor with the wagon that you could attach to it. You know the one I'm talking about? It's all I played with for a couple of years when I was little. Or my uh, Leonardo Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles costume that came with the swords as well. Those were my favorite gifts as a boy. But the truth is, those gifts only lasted for a little while. I got too big to ride on the tractor. I wore out the costume, outgrew it. I think I broke the swords within a couple of weeks after getting them as a Christmas present. See, one of the, one of the things that makes a good gift truly great is that it has lasting value and significance. It's not a cheap trinket that offers momentary pleasure and then you toss it in the trash. Good gifts have lasting value. And in these verses that we're looking at today, Moses talks about two of the greatest gifts that God's people have been given. 
I wonder if you know what they are, if you notice them as we read through the passage. The two gifts that I have in mind are God's nearness and God's law. These are two of the greatest gifts we have been given. God with us and the statutes and the rules. These two gifts are central to this passage. They're central to the entire book of Deuteronomy. Israel was blessed with the nearness of God and the revelation of his will for his people. These are two of the greatest gifts that we could ever receive. God with us and the statutes and the rules. And these gifts, dear friends, have lasting value and significance for us today. Now, I suspect that we probably don't have any qualms with the idea of the gift of God's presence we can appreciate how God's nearness to his people is an incredible gift. But maybe when we hear that God's law is one of his greatest gifts to his people, we think, hang on a second. Is that really the case? Is that really true? You know, if, if we have been taught a primarily negative understanding of the use of God's law in the Christian life where the law is simply given to expose our sinfulness and point us to our need to Christ, which it does. But if that is our only understanding of the law, we, we, may, we may struggle, we may hesitate a little bit to appreciate the gift of law, the gift of God's law to his people. But here's where I think, I think that the, the story of Israel is so helpful for us. Just think about it. God, God did not come to the Israelites while they remained in bondage in Egypt as slaves and say to them, okay, I'm going to give you this set of rules and statutes. Let's see how you do. And based on how you perform, then we'll talk about redemption. That's not what God did, is it? He by free grace, redeemed them and brought them out. They didn't earn redemption by keeping rules, nor was Israel to think that their inheritance of the land that was being given to them was in any way based on their own righteousness. In fact, it's just the opposite. As Moses will make clear in a few chapters in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9, God says, Don't think that I'm giving you the land because of you. Don't think that I'm giving you the land because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. The only reason they were redeemed and given a place to dwell was because of God's grace. Because of his gracious promises. And when the time came for Israel to receive the this, this, this statutes and rules which are really summed up in the ten words that we call the ten commandments. Do you remember how God framed it? Do you remember his preface to the ten commandments? He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. He grounded the law 
in the gospel. His law was a gift revealing God's will for how his people were to live before him. And just think, just think about what a gift that really is. It's something that we can take for granted. God doesn't leave it to his people to figure life out on their own. Isn't that incredible? You know, the nations surrounding Israel really illustrated what it in fact looks like for people to work out on their own how to worship God and how to live. The story of the nations surrounding Israel and the story of Egypt is a story of of idolatry. Of people with a sense of God turning to created things and their own ideas and ending up with a system of countless deities. And so life in the ancient world simply consisted of trying to keep the gods happy and constantly being anxious that you were somehow going to tick one of them off. And so your ethic, your way of life, was was really based on trying to keep the gods happy. And what you ended up with was ritual sex and child sacrifice and and all other kinds of immorality. And in contrast to that, the God of Israel graciously, freely redeemed his people out of slavery, brought them to himself, was bringing them into a good and spacious land. But before that, he gave them rules and statutes so that his people would know how to live before him to be a light to the nations. Accordingly, I'd like to look at this passage in two parts. The first part, listen that you may live. That's a point that Moses comes back to again and again in the book of Deuteronomy. Listen that you may live. And then secondly, building upon that, listen that you may live in the sight of all peoples. Let's begin with the first part. Listen that you may live. At important turning points in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses calls the people to listen. He he demands their attention. And that's what we find here in verse 1, where Moses calls us to listen. He commands us to hear. Throughout the first three chapters, we've seen Moses looking back to the past, reminding God's people of where they've come from, what God has done for them to bring them to this point. But now he begins to exhort them as they look forward to the future and anticipate where they are going into the promised land. And so he says, now Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. And notice that Moses commands God's people to listen and to live, to obey the commandments for a purpose. He, he, he lists what we could call a motivation. That you may live. But I think it would be very easy to misunderstand 
this motivation. The point here is not, the point here is not to say that obedience is the means by which we earn life. It would be easy to think that. But that is not what is being said. The point here is not that obedience is the means by which we inherit life. Our own obedience. The point is, in the Christian or the believing life, that obedience is the only way to enjoy it. Obedience is the only way to enjoy the life that we have in the Lord, who remember, central theme of Deuteronomy, the Lord who is your life. So let's be clear about this. I want to be crystal clear. You, you cannot earn life. You cannot achieve life by your own obedience. But you cannot enjoy it without obedience. Israel's obedience was not the root of their relationship with God, but it was the fruit. It was the fruit. Remember, they had already been redeemed out of Egypt, but obedience was always intended to be the inevitable fruit of their relationship with God in the land that he was bringing them into. Brothers and sisters, the same is true for us. Our obedience cannot earn life. After all, as the gospel makes abundantly clear, Jesus Christ, the Lord, is our life. We, we have no life apart from him. And we don't earn that life. We receive it as gift. But you see, a life of obedience to Jesus is the inevitable result of holding fast to Christ who is our life. So it's a contradiction. It's a contradiction to think that we can be alive in Christ and not obey his commandments. Again, our obedience is not the root of our new life, but but it is the fruit. Think about how Jesus explains this in the Gospel of John chapter 15 Verses 4 through 5, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See what Jesus is saying. Branch on its own cannot bear fruit. It must must abide in the vine. It must be connected to the life-giving source. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, he teaches. So if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. And the fruit that he has in view here is the fruit of obedience to his commandments. And the very next thing Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 15 is a commandment. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. He's actually repeating the commandment that he gave through Moses to Israel in in the, the Pentateuch. That we love our neighbor as ourselves. Though he 
ratchets, ratchets it up in an, a notch in the light of his sacrificial love. And he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. But you see the basic point here. We don't keep the commands to earn life. We keep them that we may live the new life we have in the Lord. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, going back to it in verse 2, Moses goes on to say, it's, it's a command about how to handle the commandments. Okay, in verse 2, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. You notice there's two parts to that. Do not add to or subtract from the commandments. Let's think about that first part, adding to the commandments of the Lord. This is what we call legalism. But Christians use that term and throw it around fairly loosely today. So let's, let's be clear. Legalism is not being too concerned about God's law or insisting on conformity to God's law in the Christian life. Legalism is adding to God's law and creating man-made obligations which God himself does not require. Think about it. This is what Jesus routinely accused the Pharisees of doing. The problem, the problem with the Pharisees was not that they were too concerned about God's law. In fact, in Matthew 23, verse 28, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for being, quote, full of lawlessness. I wonder if that description surprises you. Is that how you think about the Pharisees? If I, if I asked you, you know, just in a nutshell, give me a, a quick summary of the Pharisees. Would you say that they were full of lawlessness? Their problem was not that they cared too much about God's law, but that they dared to replace God's law with their own man-made rules and traditions. By adding to the law their own commands, they actually ended up promoting lawlessness and so Jesus can say to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7 verse 9 you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition because this is something we've got to we've got to avoid it's something we have to be aware of making up rules and traditions that actually exclude the commandments that God has actually given us to do and to keep. You see, God's law is perfect. It doesn't need to be added to. It doesn't need any of our additions or supplements. It's already complete and sufficient. Now, of course, God's law requires us to think through its good and necessary consequences for our lives. Some of, some of God's rules require careful reflection to, to tease out the full implications and how they apply to our lives today. But as we do that, we must make sure that the inferences we draw from the commands are actually good and necessary 
and not merely things we prefer. We must not, as Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we must not go beyond what is written. But there's the other side of this too. Not only must must we not uh, add to God's law, it says we also must not take away from it. We can't add to the law, nor can we subtract from it. God's law is not only sufficient, it is absolutely necessary. All of it. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and he responded to Satan, he, he didn't say, man shall live by some of the words that come from the mouth of God. No, he, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And you know he's quoting, he was quoting Deuteronomy. He was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So we must not take even a jot or a tittle or an iota out of God's law. We can't, we can't pick and choose parts of the Bible and set aside the rest. But just practically speaking, this is one of the reasons why at Trinity we're committed to preaching straight through books of the Bible from start to finish. Uh, It's why as a general pattern, I I try to alternate back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament books. For this, we were in 1 Peter and now we're in the book of Deuteronomy because we want, as, as best as we can together, we want to hear the whole counsel of God not just bits and pieces of it. This is another reason why we're also committed to to expository preaching. It's a fancy way of saying we, we want, by God's help, for the message of the sermon to be the message of the text and not merely ideas floating around in Pastor Jared's mind that week. Because I'll speak for myself, it is so easy for me even when preaching through books of the Bible, to just avoid or bypass the hard parts that for some reason or another, people don't like. But Deuteronomy reminds us we can't do that. We can't take away from God's word. We can't can't treat God's word like a food menu. Where we just select the items that suit our taste. But I think this also leads us to say that uh, this kind of thing happens all the time, doesn't it? I, I raised this question when we got started with our series in Deuteronomy, but I'll raise it again. Why, why is it that Christians today are so unfamiliar with the book of Deuteronomy and the laws contained within it? Now, I know there's a bunch of reasons that we could uh, consider and, and discuss I'll be the first one to say there are challenges to reading this book. But one of the reasons, I think, for a lack of familiarity is that a lot of churches and a lot of Christians, functionally speaking, have removed the book of Deuteronomy from their canon of Scripture. So we simply neglect it. We don't want to deal with all of the commands that God has given. But 
It's Deuteronomy's addressing that very issue and it's saying we can't do that. We can't take away from what God has to say to us. Isn't it a profound irony that we, we live in a day and age when a lot of people are talking about wanting to hear from God? Wanting to hear God's voice, wanting to know his will for their lives, and yet the book of Deuteronomy remains neglected and ignored. Deuteronomy is reminding us, if you want to hear God speak, if you want to hear God's voice, if you want to know God's will for your life, turn to the scriptures, turn to the word of God. Now, let's keep going here. In in verse 3, Moses Moses now inserts a warning here. He's urging us to cling to the Lord, to cling to the one who is our life. And so he gives an example of what happens when we turn away from the Lord and we embrace another. He warns here about the destructive consequences of idolatry, which leads to death. If you look at verse 3, he says, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. It's a historical reminder that was meant to serve as a warning about the, con- the, the destructive consequences of idolatry. Moses is recounting an episode that's recorded in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, in the opening verses of that chapter. Now, Baal, Baal was a fertility deity, and the worship of Baal of Peor was, was combined with Sexually immoral acts as ritual acts. Now this was, this was fairly common in the ancient world where ritual sex was performed in fertility cults. As I was talking about a few minutes ago to try to entice that fertility deity to be more fruitful and, and, and produce more crops for the people. And now while that might seem like a really weird and And strange thing to us, the truth is, there are so many similarities and parallels in our own day. Sex sells, as the saying goes. And when modern advertisers, for example, exploit human sexuality or use pornographic images to entice you to worship the God of pleasure or the God of self, they are essentially doing the very same thing. They are acting like prophets of Baal and we ought to avoid such practices like the plague that they really are. Now, After after this warning, Moses goes on to say in verse 4, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. Okay, so there was a plague and many of the men of Israel They died because they attached themselves to a foreign deity. But Moses is reminding them those who held fast to the Lord are still alive today. Now, I'm emphasizing that that language of holding fast because it's important for us to see that the Hebrew root there of that word for translated hold fast is the same word that's used to describe the covenant bond in marriage. For example, in Genesis chapter 2, you shall hold fast to your wife. 
see, one of the things that teaches us is that idolatry for God's people is always an act of spiritual adultery. Idolatry for God's people is always an act of spiritual adultery. This is what the prophets railed against again and again. When God entered into covenant with his people at Mount Sinai, he came to them as their husband. He entered into a marriage covenant. And God wants his people, God wants you to cling to him as closely as a bride clings to her husband because he is the true lover of your soul. Just read through the book of Song of Songs. Not too long ago, we took a look at Song of Songs in Sunday school and we we said that ultimately the Song of Songs is, is God's love song for his people. It it is about God's unblushing, unfailing, unwavering covenant love for his people. And ask yourself the question that Moses asks then in verse 7, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, a God who sings the song of songs over his people. And notice Moses communicates the urgency of this, of holding fast to the Lord your God. He does this repeatedly throughout the book by using the language of today, which he, he does here in this passage. This, this, think about it this way. This ancient document, thousands of years old, has an immediacy and an urgency to it. There is a perpetual now Do this today. Cling to the Lord today. Hold fast to the Lord your God today. If you hear his voice, you remember how Hebrews puts it. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Hold fast to the lover of your soul. So listen that you may live And now let's build on that and add the second part of this passage. Listen that you may live in the sight of all peoples. So we are urged here to keep the statutes and the rules, not only that we may live, but also to show the wisdom and righteousness of God's ways to all peoples. In other words... The covenantal relationship that we have with God by grace is as immense as it is intimate. The covenant relationship that we have with the Lord by grace is as immense in its scope as it is intimate. In other words, our obedience not only concerns our personal life with the Lord, but the public gaze and glory of God in the international community. That's what Moses is saying here. Those are the two motives Moses gives for obedience. Keep and do the commandments that you may live, and that you may live in the sight of all peoples. This is the message of these verses. Listen, that you may live... And live in the sight of all peoples. And don't you love the way the scriptures speak to the impulses and the desires and the longing of 
our hearts, but, but also constantly speaks to us about God's glory across the globe. You can't, you can't separate the two. You can't pick one or the other. You can't emphasize one at the expense of the other. God's ways are both intimate and immense. And so obedience in the Christian life is both an intimate and immense matter. That's what Moses is teaching us here. It not only concerns our life with the Lord, but the public gaze of the peoples of the earth. So look at how this gets worked out in verses 5 through 8. Just read it again to remind ourselves. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all of these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, Whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there. That has statutes and rules so righteous. As all this law that I set before you today. Now here's something you've just got. You've got to see in those verses. That the international influence of God's people. Is based upon the intimacy of their relationship with the Lord God. You see that? The international influence of God's people is founded upon the intimacy of their relationship with God. Don't don't you love that? The salt and light influence of the people of God is based upon their relationship with God. It is the Lord's nearness, according to verse 7, that then explodes with all of these implications in the sight of the nations. And friends, that reminds us of what is most important and what is most powerful. It reminds us that the single greatest catalyst in our mission to the world is our union and communion with the triune God. That's, that's where the power is. It's, it's not our own power or wisdom. It's not our cleverness. It's not our strategies. It is only because God has drawn near to us in his son and by his spirit that we can be a light at all. That we can be a light to all peoples and make disciples of all nations. It's, it's only because of this intimate nearness that we can have an influence. See, apart from God drawing near, we can do nothing. The letter itself, the letter of the law, apart from relationship with the Lord, apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't amount to anything. We need to know God's will, yes. But we also need God near us. We need to choose that which is truly life and take hold of him. That's the message of these verses. God God draws near and reveals his will for us so that we may listen and live 
in the sight of all peoples. God draws near to us and reveals his will that we may live and live in the sight of all peoples. See, God's people must choose life by holding fast to the Lord and walking in his ways. Moses will eventually say, this is is the heart of his message throughout the book of Deuteronomy, choose life. And then as he gets to the end of his message, as he's wrapping things up, he says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 30, this word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart that you may do it. And you know what's really amazing about this is the Apostle Paul picks up those very words and quotes them in Romans chapter 10, verses 7 through 11, when he says, the word we proclaim, the word of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart, he says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you will be saved. Now, what is is Paul doing there? What's he saying? He's helping us understand that to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, this is what it means to choose life. This is is what it means to be a wise and understanding people. To choose the Lord who is your life and believe in Jesus Christ risen from the dead is what it means to be a wise and understanding people. Because think about it. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. He is He is. Literally, God drawing near to us. And he reveals to us the fullness of God's will for us and our salvation. So you you see where the message of Deuteronomy is leading us. And how it's intensified by the revelation and the coming of Jesus Christ. As, As John puts it in the prologue to his gospel. The law came through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses is not saying there was, no law, there was no grace in law. He is saying that Christ is the embodiment of the grace and truth and righteousness of God. He, he brings the law to its fullest meaning so that we can come to him by faith to be wise You see, to to hold fast to him is what it means to be an understanding people because Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, God made him to be for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so you see where Deuteronomy is taking us. It, It takes us to the God who draws near. In Christ, we have the actual embodiment of the Lord who dwells with us. Talk about a God who draws near. And in the word made flesh, we have have the God who has drawn near to us in our slavery to sin and misery to set us free 
that we may live through him and have life abundantly. And so that as we abide in him, the gospel commands us to keep his commandments before the world. You know, the laws in the book of Deuteronomy have have benefited the world throughout history in, in all kinds of different ways. We'll see that as we go through this book together, I think. But the, the laws of Deuteronomy have brought benefit to the world in ways that, frankly, I think just go unnoticed today. Deuteronomy contains some of the most astonishing humanitarian laws with their concern for the rights of the poor and the oppressed. The laws that seek to put a check on a misuse of power and authority. And our world is deeply indebted to those laws in ways that just go unnoticed. Even in our own society here in America where the highest executive of the land is also to be under the rule of law. And you hear that and you think, well, yeah, no, duh. Well, it wasn't no duh for most of the history of the world for many nations. That is a benefit that comes to us from this book, from God's law. But what I want to say in light of that, as we wrap up, is you, you, really, you really cannot enjoy the fruits of Christianity without the roots of Christianity, which are based upon faith. You know, yesterday... Um, we, we traveled to Beaver Falls to celebrate my brother-in-law's uh, birthday together as a family. And uh, as we were coming home, I had the chance to see Geneva College, where I, I did a, most of my, my undergrad studies. And as I was driving back last night, I was just thinking about some of the classes that I had the opportunity to take there. And I, uh, one of the classes was a philosophy course on Friedrich Nietzsche. And... Uh, we read through and, and discussed the twilight of the idols and thus spoke Zarathustra. And you remember one of the themes in Nietzsche's writings is in an almost prophetic way, he is describing what, is, what was beginning to take place more and more in the Western world. He predicts what's going to happen in the West as we give up belief in God. And he says, look, if you get rid of the Christian faith, and this is something he hoped would happen, he's, but he says openly at the same time, you are pulling the right of Christian morality right out from underneath your feet. You can't have things like human rights and concerns of social justice and human dignity in the end. You, in the end, you end up with survival of the fittest. You, you, you end up with a form of might makes right. And that's basically what we're experiencing right now in the Western world. People, people want to enjoy some of the fruits of Christianity like human rights and justice without the roots of Christianity that ground those fundamental concepts in the, the character and the will of God. But friends, all I want to, the reason I go through all of that is because I want to say to you, whatever is happening in our world, whatever is happening in our culture around us, this passage reminds us that we have received by grace these two incredible gifts. The gifts of God's nearness and his law. The gifts of 
God's presence and his statutes and rules. Christ the Lord has come near to redeem us from sin and misery. And he's given us his commandments. This is described in the New Testament. The law of liberty. To guide our steps. That we might live in the sight of all peoples. Reflecting the wisdom and the righteousness of him who is our life. This is the message of the book of Deuteronomy. And may it, may it be, dear friends, that each one of us in this room today is a recipient of these two gifts of lasting value. The gifts of God's presence and the gift of his law. May we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead because this is what it means to be a wise and understanding people. And please join me in prayer. God, we pray that by the gospel and spirit's work among us that each of us would confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you raised him from the dead for us and for our salvation. May you bring us into Christ that he would be our life, our wisdom, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And with your spirit dwelling within us then, we pray that uh, the law that once, once led us to confess our sin and continues to do that would also serve as a, as a guide in our lives as we seek to abide in Christ and live the life that he calls us to live before all peoples. Do this work among us so that you get the glory in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.